This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When it comes to women's rights, in many cases, the freedoms we have today are because of the persistence of lawyers who've gone before us. So how does the law protect and empower women? Well, understanding your rights is a good place to start. In this podcast, we go inside landmark cases and the laws that have redesigned society. And we'll hear from strong, smart and experienced lawyers determined to make a difference in the lives of women and girls. I'm Jo Stanley and this is Lay Down the Law. Lay Down the Law is a collaboration between Broad Radio and Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers, experience you can count on. When you're young, starting out in your career, possibly building a family, planning for retirement can be the furthest thing from your mind. Weekly costs of living and the stress of just getting through life's challenges can mean you don't even think about your superannuation. In this episode of Lay Down the Law, we learn what disadvantages women face from two lawyers at the forefront of protecting women's superannuation rights, and we highlight the pitfalls to watch out for so you can boost your super savings. I can't even recall even discussing it with employers. That's how, you know, uh, of an importance I had upon it back then, and still do, I think. So this didn't occur to me. There were too many other things on my mind at the time that made it uh, less important. In retrospect now, it would have been great if I had thought of it, but it just didn't happen. Women in Australia retire with 42% less super than men. It can mean living their final years in poverty, and it's because of the inherent inequality of our superannuation system. To learn more, we're joined by Jacob Verghese, who is CEO of Morris Blackburn Lawyers, a law firm recognised as an employer of choice for gender equality. And Hadia Ulika is Principal Lawyer at Morris Blackburn Lawyers, practising in superannuation and insurance litigation. Jacob and Hadia, thanks so much. Thank you, Joe. Can we start by understanding what actually are the life circumstances that make women more vulnerable to having less superannuation at retirement? There are a few circumstances that mean that um, uh, on average women can end up with less super at retirement um, than men and they're mostly to do with all the things that drive uh, inequality between men and women when it comes to income. Um, So as we know women on the whole on average earn less than men uh, and and we have this gap in earnings. We also have a society where more often than not women are carrying the burden of childcare and gaps in career, which can lead to loss of income in itself and also a period of not earning super. And it's also the case that industries 
which have mostly women in them or more than average women working in them tend to be have lower pay than industries with more men. So in, in a large sense, it's a symptom of gender inequality in society in general. I'd agree with that. And I'd say that uh, obviously women participate in the workforce a lot less than men because of a lot of the factors that Jacob has touched on. And women are six times more likely to take on caring responsibilities for children and for elderly parents as compared with men. And so those gaps in employment um, therefore contribute to uh, their inequalities in terms of their pay, in terms of momentum in their careers. And then of course, uh, when we talk about things like you know retirement savings, there's more gaps uh, in contributions to their retirement as well. Felt very much like fight, fight or flight most of the time, and but but in re- reality, there must have been times where I was able to sit down and work things out and to go to the next step to to find out a solution for for where I was at and what I was going to do next. And that was, you know, it was okay with with my own life. That was easier. But when it came to my daughter, it was it was very chaotic. She has severe me- mental illness, and uh, it's been very very difficult. It's taken a lot out of me. And I don't see that happening with with anybody that's a carer because it's such an intense job to have, you know, uh, 24-7, basically. That's Charlotte Sheverton. She's one of more than 2 million unpaid carers in Australia whose caregiving saves the Australian economy billions, yet they receive no superannuation for this work, which makes Charlotte also one of the one in four women in Australia facing retirement with no super at all. Life circumstances just made it impossible for her to plan for her future. But our superannuation system falls short in other areas too. So obviously in addition to those gaps in employment, women will take parental leave and generally if they don't return to work, Um, quite soon after, then uh, there's also the the gaps in their super contributions as well um, while they are on either paid parental leave or or taking unpaid uh, leave from their employment. Um, There's also tax concessions that apply to high income earners as well that also contribute to uh, the super pay gap um, when you compare men who've retained higher income earning uh, jobs, they can put away uh, money into super and, and save Uh, on tax or or get some favourable tax concessions Um, and perhaps women that haven't had the opportunity to do that then don't have as much in their super when they when it comes to retirement. The super system as a whole needs some needs some fixing in order to 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 deal with these gaps but we should also recognise the super system has made retirement incomes for women on the whole way better than it was before we introduced compulsory super Uh, and it used to be the case that men were far more likely to have arrangements at work or arrangements that undertaken themselves to save away for retirement before we introduced compulsory super. So compulsory super on the whole has been great for women building up a nest egg when they get to retirement. It's just that all of the other inequalities that are in our society between men and women mean that even there, there's still a gap. Uh, And we really need to be having a conversation about what we can do to close that gap. Yeah, because at its core, it's, this is all a knock-on effect from gender inequality and the gender pay gap, right? So um, it can feel like it's almost unfixable, but that's not the case. There are things that can be done. 
I think that's right. I think, well, firstly, we can deal with all the things that go to the gender pay gap, right? So that's what we, we need. We, we talk a lot about all those things. They're very important. Um, but there are also things we can do that recognise that the effect of gender inequality in super has other other fixes to it as well. So we can, we can fix super. Uh, we don't need to wait for uh, all of society to change. We can fix super on its own as well as fix uh, gender inequality more generally. So let's understand first, and I think it's one of the biggest issues, it's parental leave. What's the current situation? The current situation is that if a woman becomes pregnant um, or a man decides to take primary carer's leave, um, depending on their employment arrangement, they might have an entitlement to paid parental leave, but not everybody will have that entitlement. Um, From a government perspective, um, there is an entitlement to 12 weeks of paid parental leave um, if the person has been employed with that employer for 12 months. Um, But there certainly isn't any legislated requirement for super contributions on top of that paid leave and certainly there's no obligation for an employer to pay during a period of unpaid leave. So help me understand though because do we get paid super when we take other leave? We do. We get paid super on uh, annual leave, on personal leave like sick days, uh, on long service leave, all of these other types of leave we get get super. It's just a bizarre anomaly that we don't get super for paid parental leave. But why would that be? Why would they make the excuse for that particular leave? Uh, who knows why the excuse was there in the first place? Uh, I think what we can say is it's ridiculous that it's pertain. It still pertains. So uh, I think we just need to fix that. That that's only a small part, though. I mean, that's an obvious thing that needs to be fixed. We have a paid parental leave scheme. It was introduced. I don't know, a decade or so ago, uh, it seems very obvious that there should be super on that. Uh, that's only just the tip of the iceberg, though, because there's also unpaid parental leave that a lot of people will take. Um, uh, the paid parental scheme is, in most cases, not enough to cover people for the period they think is appropriate to take after they've had a baby. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we need to be talking about the paid parental leave. That's just straightforward. We just need to get on with it. Then the broader conversation is about unpaid parental leave, I think. Yeah, so where do we stand with that? At the moment, with unpaid parental leave, as with all unpaid leave, there's no super. Um, at Morris Blackburn, we've taken the position that we don't want our employees to suffer that gap uh, and uh, and we want our employees to feel supported by the firm while they're taking unpaid parental leave and we want them to come back to the firm when they're finished. And so we've committed to paying your superannuation throughout that whole period, even when you're not earning income. Uh, and that's just a small step we can take to uh, to reduce the super gap. So when it comes to unpaid parental leave then, what kinds of action can take place to change that? Is it about lobbying governments and some kind of legislation or how, you know, I can understand that a small business might say, well, you know, this is too onerous for me. I think it's about really agitating for change and highlighting the important um, social and economic contributions that people doing unpaid work make. There's lots of evidence that supports um, the contributions that women in particular make to society when they do unpaid work. Um, And I think as a society, we need to to do a better job at recognising that um, so that we can ensure that when women do uh, arrive at retirement age, they're not disadvantaged because of those uh, decisions in their life. Um, a lot of the time, you know, are imposed upon them. It makes financial sense for them not to return to work um, or as a family, perhaps they made the decision not to do that uh, immediately or to take an extended break after having children. 
So I think that there's a lot uh, to be said in terms of the conversation that we have about the value that women in particular make uh, in the context of the unpaid caring work that they do. And also I imagine, Jacob, I'm I'm just assuming this, but as an employer in which um, parents are valued, that speaks enormously and I think contributes to a culture of an organisation. I think that's right. I think um, to some extent it's not really even a choice, right? And to some extent if you want to be an employer that is uh, attracting and retaining talented people, uh, you need to appreciate that those people have things going on in their life other than work. And one of the most important things people have going on in their life is their children. Uh, and, and at any given time, most people prioritise their children over their job. Uh, in fact, they may even see their job as something they do in order to be able to support their children. Um, and so an employer who tries to get between a parent and their child and their responsibilities to children is not likely to win. Uh, so from my perspective, it's very important that every employer acknowledges that um, employees who have kids uh, have uh, have all sorts of um, special needs associated with being parents and having that caring role. And you need to be able to, to be flexible and make arrangements that support them. Uh, and it's in that context that we see things like uh, providing for parental leave and providing for super on, on parental leave. I think too there's a great deal of impact when our workforce sees senior male members of the team take leave and I understand you're a CEO and a father. Jacob, did you take parental leave? I did. I did. Well, I took parental leave for each of the kids. For my first child, I took a, a, a 10-month or 11-month period of parental leave, which was which was great. Um, uh, great because, you know, we wanted to uh, have people, we wanted the, a parent to be at home for, for a long period of the of her life at the beginning. Um, and then, um, but also I just found it an incredibly uh, fun period of time to get to spend quality time with with my daughter at a very uh, a very early age. Unfortunately, our family circumstances were, were different by the time the other kids came around. But but I think sort of, you know, there's sort of my personal story, which is was good for me and my family. But more broadly, one of the things I think is important, if we're going to move beyond the expectation uh, that women bear the primary responsibility for looking after small kids, uh, the only way we're going to do that is for men to step up and for everyone to support men to do that. We want to encourage a culture in which men feel it's acceptable for them to take career breaks in order to look after kids, that it's not going to damage their career prospects to do so, um, uh, that, that they get the same entitlement for parental leave um, as as uh, women do. That's great for the men. I reckon I encourage everyone to do it because it's an incredible experience to, to do and, um, and, uh, and really at Morris Blackburn will not damage your career in any way. But it's also important because of the message it sends um, to women in, in Morris Blackburn, which is it's really not career limiting to go and have a baby, take time out of the workforce, uh, that you will be supported uh, and um, we're going to encourage the men to do the same thing, um, that we don't have gendered expectations about who's looking after kids. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's very important. It's the only way we're going to get beyond a culture in which the burden of childcare falls uh, exclusively on women. 
because ultimately it shouldn't be seen as a burden. It should be, you know, something that uh, people can enjoy in their life mm. uh, and feel completely supported to do so. I think it's it's a blessing, not a burden, to spend time with your children, you hope. <laughs> I mean, as someone who did spend a lot of time with my children, it's a, it's sometimes a bit of both. I think we can all agree. <laughs> I most definitely concur on that one. But I I do... net, it's a net blessing. Sometimes it's very much in the morning. But but they do, you know, it has been well recognised that it's not until the culture changes whereby, as you say, Jacob, men feel free and encouraged to take that time out that, of course, women are then going to share not only the caring duties but also to advance in their career and, you know, it's going to narrow that gender pay gap. Do you get a sense um, for yourself, Hadia, as an employee at Morris Blackburn that that culture is different? Definitely. I think, you know, gone are the days where women, you feel apologetic about some of the outside of work responsibilities that they might carry. And in fact, now a lot of the conversations between men and women are the same about the things that they're doing with their kids, for their kids, um, the load that they're lifting in terms of shuffling kids around to activities, drop-offs, pickups, illness at home, things like that, that women often have had to kind of only share with other women that are returning from work or juggling um, part-time work perhaps. Um, And certainly, you know, getting your eye back in on the back of an extended period off work to have a child. All those struggles and experiences are now a shared experience with a lot of men at work too. And I think that that has vast benefits for women that are in the workplace as well. So apart from parental leave, I understand that there are anomalies that can be hidden in the back end of our policies. And that's the insurance that we assume is included in our super. And I've got to say, I'm not really across what insurance is in my superannuation. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And I'm, I'm you know, 50. I'm not 25. I should know these things. Um, can you explain what is what it should be the case for our insurance that's in our superannuation policy? And where does it fall short? So what we're finding is that If a woman stops work and is unable to return because of a mental health condition or perhaps they've had a a diagnosis of some other physical health condition like cancer, MS, it could be a number of things that might cause them to be unable to return to work. Um, Some women who are casually employed might discover that the definition of total and permanent disability that they must satisfy to be paid a benefit is so narrow and so restrictive that it renders the insurance practically useless to them. Uh, The test that applies in some cases, particularly with retail super funds, uh, is so harsh and restrictive that hardly anyone would ever satisfy that test of disability. And, you know, we've likened some of these insurance policies to junk because effectively they don't cover people in their time of need. Uh, And the, the reason they don't is because of the casual employment status. And so if women are making up the vast majority of the casualised workforce, then it's women that will be disproportionately impacted by those really harsh and restrictive definitions. The other problem that we're finding is that if you've had a break in your employment and you're doing unpaid work, perhaps, you know, and I could give you an example of a client that we represent who had an acrimonious and really violent relationship that broke down 
she was unable to work for a period of time and moved around uh, from place to place um, and had to take out an intervention order against her, her ex-husband. Um, and she became a primary carer for her children in that time. She was a working professional her whole life and she had every intention of returning to work. Um, and in that intervening period, when she was already going through so much, she suffers from a really significant heart attack that leaves her with cognitive uh, impairment and all sorts of other physical ailments, and it renders her unable to return to work. Now, when she makes a claim on her policy, she finds that because she wasn't in regular remunerative work in the lead up to making the claim, the definition she must satisfy is a home duties definition, which again is extremely restrictive and harsh, and because she could, you know, with struggle, but she could perform uh, some of the duties of, of home duties, uh, the insurer denied her claim and she missed out on the benefit. Now, you think to yourself in that moment, had she been a man, had she not experienced uh, the, the things that she had to experience, has she not then been the primary carer for her children, which was the, the, the only thing she could really focus on at that time, then at the time that this unexpected health condition arose, she wouldn't have been so disadvantaged. And so there's all these hidden provisions, hidden terms and conditions in policies that whilst they don't state, if you're a woman, this will apply to you, um, it, it does because of the sort of unconscious bias, if you like, in the way that some of these policies have been have been drafted, it doesn't give regard to the, to the important contribution that unpaid work um, makes to our society. And it assumes that if you're not in regular paid work, that you should be getting more inferior coverage than a person that's maintaining regular paid work. Uh, and of course, you know, the casual employment example too um, disproportionately affects women. And, and that's often the only work that some women can find. And again, in some funds, particularly the retail funds, if you're considered to work in high risk employment in a hazardous job, Again, the definition that they will apply to you is this really, really tough test, which in most cases, irrespective of how disabled you might be, uh, you, you won't meet. And actually, it's important to note that if your disability is because of a mental health condition, there's no chance at all that you'll meet the test because it only requires you, the activities of daily living test, require you to show that you can't perform two out of five you know, physical activities of daily living. So again, there's a bias against people who have a mental health condition. And, and the groups of people that are impacted are people that take on insecure employment and people that are already taking on risky work uh, that might actually increase their risk of, of becoming disabled down the track and who really need that insurance. Mm. Per capita, the, the think tank has done a fair bit of work on why is there a gap between men and women in super. And, and one of their findings is that it is because women tend to be more often in low paid and casual jobs. And so uh, one, some of the solutions to fixing this, uh, to fixing the super gap will actually be for fixing the gap between people in low paid and casual jobs uh, and, uh, and people who are in more permanent and secure employment. You do that and you'll go a long way to fix the gender gap. Um, and then the other thing they've suggested is the government makes an, a, an annual $1,000 contribution to the accounts of low-paid uh, workers as well, just from the government. Uh, and, uh, and that would go a long way as well to helping build up that nest egg for people who are in more precarious employment. 
Stay with us after this short break. How long is too long for parental leave? We learn about the safety net that automatically cuts out, often without you even knowing it. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What other situations might a woman find herself without the insurance cover that she thought she had? There's women that we would like to represent but can't because they've taken a period of leave to have a child. So if you go off and have a child, you don't have uh, contributions for the one year that you've been off work. Um, You might have a second child and extend your unpaid parental leave period um, and, and have another child. If you're contributions into your account stop after 16 months, your insurance will automatically cut out unless you opt for it to continue. And that's on the back of some legislative changes. So there are people who, unfortunately, due to a lack of super contributions during a period of leave um, for caretaking or for having children, will not actually have any insurance to claim on. And so we are finding that uh, if women are intending to return to work but something happens, um, then they don't have that insurance to claim on uh, because of that absence from work and the resulting the resultant lack of insurance contributions for that period. Um, the other women that we represent are people who are casually employed and are finding that because of their employment status that they are unable to make a successful total and permanent disablement claim. That's not every single fund. Industry funds don't tend to disadvantage casually employed people in the way that we see with retail super funds. Uh, But we do find that in circumstances where there's been gaps in employment due to caring responsibilities, um, people working for small businesses in particular where There were sporadic employer contributions, but they weren't made on time, or perhaps they stopped at a certain point, even though their payslips said that they were being paid, um, that they lost very important insurance coverage, or their coverage became inferior because of the gap in the employment uh, contributions. Your insurance could lapse or become inferior because of something that your employer does or doesn't do, and that is the payment of your contributions to your super account if they go in late or they stop paying them for whatever reason or there's some kind of a system oversight it could mean that your insurance completely stops or that when you go to make a claim the terms and conditions you have to satisfy are really restrictive so ultimately your coverage becomes inferior and this is all happening in the background you're not alert to it you might get a pay slip that says Uh, yep, this is your super contribution each fortnight, 
but actually it's really important to check with your fund whether those contributions are going in. So it is really quite devastating for a person who's already out of work. They've lost the purpose and structure that their job gave to them. They've lost the source of uh, income that's important for them and their family. And then they claim on what they think is a really important safety net, which is their insurance through super. And they discover that ultimately uh, they don't have a claim that will be paid. So what work is being done to change the superannuation system so that women are being given the best chance to prepare for their retirement? Industry super is campaigning for uh, there to be a rule that paid parental leave does attract uh, uh, super. We talked about it at the beginning. That's, that seems like a no-brainer and everyone should just move on with that. Uh, so I think that's the most important priority for now uh, is let's just get that change through. Uh, and then beyond that, I think we, we all the things we've talked about before, uh, uh, unions are, I think, asking uh, in enterprise agreement negotiations more and more for uh, superannuation to extend for longer longer periods of, of uh, unpaid parental leave or p- paid parental leave by a company if it's longer than the uh, what the government provides. I think that's a very important part of it. That'll help in in a lot of uh, a lot of industries. I think a lot of businesses are being more like Morris Blackburn are being more conscious of this issue uh, and doing things, employees demanding it, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I think that, that there's a lot that we can do there. Uh, and uh, and is happening. Uh, the number one thing is let's get super on paid parental leave now. Um, I agree. I think super on paid parental leave will be a real a really significant step in the right direction. I think some of the improvements that we have seen include the removal of the four hundred and fifty dollars per month uh, income requirement to receive a super contribution from your employer. So that's really great, um, but it doesn't fix the historical problem of people, women in particular, that haven't had the advantage of, of those payments throughout their working life. Um, but slowly by slowly, the, the more awareness we create of these issues, the better we can advocate uh, to remove some of the inequalities that women face in particular, and then we can close those gaps. But there isn't any one or two solutions to fix it. But I think you know the first step is, is paying super while on parental leave. And of course, I think a broader discussion about, you know, really valuing the contribution that uh, people do while doing unpaid work uh, and and how do we ensure that people maintain uh, their super contributions throughout that unpaid period as well. For Charlotte, having experienced a lifetime of struggle and insecurity, her future changed when Women's Housing Limited, a not-for-profit organisation that provides low-cost housing to women at risk of homelessness, provided her with somewhere to live forever. We only found that through through this support worker, which was, you know, marvellous. Jump for joy. And so well, as soon as one was, this place was available, I just jumped on it and said, you know, did everything that I could possible do to get it. Unfortunately for me, um, they could see that how eager I was and how, you know, my um, enthusiasm must have um, surpassed everyone else's and they gave it to me. So that's the only thing I put it down to. I was in the same boat as everybody else, you know, had, had no real um, backing with, with anything financially, nobody to really help them, no real job. It was like, you know, left out, out in the limb. Um, and yet, you know, 
they chose me, so I was really grateful for that because I think it was about half a dozen women that, that were in a similar situation, yeah, to look at this place. And in that, as I say, great, great stability. I know that things aren't going to change. Yeah, I'm not going to drop a hat. I'm not going to lose the place, which is fantastic. I've got it for life. And, and I've made some great friends. Like four, four of my neighbours, they're all close to me. And we've all become really good friends, you know, and they're all different ages and different personalities, etc. But we've hit it off, which is terrific. That's probably been the best part of it, I think, having those friendships and, you know, knowing that um, we can sort of rely upon on each other if need be. But what can we do to ensure our superannuation is the best it can be? Get some financial advice. So a lot of what you're talking about you know, a qualified financial advisor should really be able to examine, you know, are you investing in the right fund for you? And also, are the insurance arrangements that are attached to that fund suitable for you in your circumstances, given your employment status and the type of work that you are doing? Um, you, you may discover that it's not appropriate that the product that you are paying for from your account, your super account, isn't actually fit for purpose for you. And then you, on the advice of a financial advisor, can make a decision perhaps to invest elsewhere uh, and get good coverage through a different fund. Um, I think it's just really important to be engaged with the concept of super, that it's not a future a future me problem. It's a right now I can plan for the future um, priority that people should be giving to, uh, should be giving priority to. And I think uh, being alert to the things that can go wrong from the stories that we can tell about the clients that have come to us in their time of need, um, it's it's important that you don't, you know, you're not one of those people if possible. You look ahead and say, okay, well, I've got this information. Uh, now I can make a decision about where I invest my money and ultimately what kind of insurance I have in the event that I need to claim on it. I think um, just in addition to what Heidi has said, I mean, people should certainly seek financial advice about the circumstances that suit them. But one of the advantages of industry super and the way that it's been set up is that uh, industry super funds do tend to produce products for their uh, members that are very suitable for people working in that particular industry. And so, uh, so that's not a bad starting point is to look for the industry fund that, uh, that, that has members in your industry. Uh, there's there's other bits and pieces like it, most of the funds will have a have an app and it's worth downloading the app and making sure you've got an I- idea of uh, how much your balance is and where it's at. If you've changed jobs, it's important to roll over your super. It's easy to do, um, but it's uh, it's silly to have lots of different super accounts um, and um, and be paying uh, paying fees on all of them rather than rolling them in. Um, and uh, you know, as Heidi said, you should be aware of uh, what what insurance is attached to your super and make sure that it's appropriate for your circumstances. There, there are certain other individual things people might want to have a conversation with their partner about as well. Like if you're having a baby and you're taking time out of work, uh, it might be sensible for you and your partner to uh, make sure that uh, you're still making contributions to your super throughout that time. Uh, and uh, and that might be a, a very sensible household expense. It might be a, a good way of making sure you're sharing uh, um, the economic consequences of having a child. Uh, might not be suitable in every circumstance, but it's certainly something you should be talking about and not forgetting about. You talk about how you're going to manage your your grocery bills and your rent bills, no doubt, um, and super should be uh, part of that conversation as well. So I think all of those things just boil down to being more aware. We've all got super. Uh, it's actually a really great Australian system. 
but we all uh, should be taking some uh, responsibility and, and, and educating ourselves about how Super is working for us and making sure that it is working uh, as best it can. So Jacob and Hadia, thank you so much for your time because largely what I'm learning is that superannuation is a way that we, I mean, it speaks to how we value every member of society and how we wish for them to be cared for in their retirement, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think that superannuation is a wonderful public policy and bringing light to some of the inequalities that have bubbled to the surface are important so that we can work out how we're going to address those inequalities and make it a fairer system so that when women arrive at retirement age, they're no worse off than their male colleagues. I agree with you, Joe. I think those, uh, those are important takeaways. I think super is a fantastic Australian innovation and really sets our country up well in many, many respects, and not least of which is providing every Australian who works with a share of the, the national economy. We just need to make sure that everyone's covered uh, and, uh, and that uh, we're treating people equally and that we're looking after women and people who are in precarious uh, or low-paid employment. But, but you know, these, these are fixes to what is a great system. Next time on Lay Down the Law, the fight to save a precious cultural site that's significant to traditional owners from a nuclear waste dump. Thanks for listening to Lay Down the Law. Check out the other episodes in this series wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, drop us a rating while you're there. That would be super lovely of you. 